sir. How are you? Good, good, Gerald. Uh, a nice, crisp uh, evening here in Northern California. Are you in the rain down there? No, not yet. I know it's coming, though. It's almost time to take out the streetcar. It's not. It's, it's not registered. I can't get it to. Uh, I haven't fixed it yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what's raining. No one's gonna know. No, don't do that. <laughs> no, it's not registered. It's I'll get pulled over so fast on that thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I these are um the bad advice, people. Don't do it. Don't do it if it's not registered. That's yeah. Funny. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and uh introduce yourself, who you are, what you drive, where you drive, and all that fun stuff. What's good, everybody? My name is Carlos Canastrella. I am um, a guy that drifts. I've been drifting for a, a minute now. Um, I started in a bone stock A86 uh, GTS Corolla way back in the day. I'm not like an OG like Taka and those guys, but um, like early 2000s, like, 04, I think, was my first event. Anyway, so started, uh, make a long story short, I started competing in Pro-Am. I don't know if I count my first event as an actual competition event because I was in a stock Corolla again. Um, and it was 07, but 08 is when I really kind of ran a, a, a first first year. And then um, and then been running Pro-Am off and on. Um, since then. In the same car? Not in that same car. So that first A86 was totaled. No. And, and then on a rainy night, um, it, uh, I, someone rear-ended me on the freeway. I was, and I was at zero. Ooh. Yeah, I'm just glad that, because I had, you know, I had like a some kind of electrical failure, and so I had gotten out of the car to check under the hood, like uh -huh. in, <laughs> doing sketchy things. And so I was just, you know, even though the car got wrecked and totaled or whatever, I I should have got it out of the way of the freeway, but um, it, I got hit like soon after before attempting that. But luckily, I had got back in the car, and uh, and yeah, and luckily the people that hit me weren't um, hurt. Um, their car was actually okay, but my car, with all the rust that it had, it, uh, it didn't make it. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, 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 man. So after that, I, I picked up another A86, and then, um, and then long after that, I, I bought a couple other cars, um, to drift in. They're all Toyotas. Um, I'm, a, I'm like a Toyota person i guess yeah which uh yeah. so you have the black corolla that's the one i know of i know you've got two other vehicles but what's yeah. what's going black on in the black corolla on the a86 okay that so that car used to be yellow when i first got it it was uh i think individual it was an individual throttle body 4ge like your classic um jdm build and uh, it had been put together by a couple different people. I mean, it wasn't like co 
competition ready. Like we still had to put a roll cage in and do all kinds of other stuff and just like drift specific suspension, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z, you know, rear end, all that good stuff. It used to be an autocross car. Hmm. And so I picked it up from the guy that owned that vehicle was uh, the guy that provided the limo service for Keiichi Sushiya and the D1 guys when they were in in town for their big pro events. Mm. And so I didn't take that car into battle until, uh, I'm going to say, oh, I'm not going to say, let me, let me actually check here. 2008 was my first time competing. Oh, okay. And I, um, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, now looking back now, it probably made about 140 horsepower. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it used to scream, man. I mean, those ITBs, they're no joke, man. The the In fact, the engine was louder than the exhaust on that vehicle. Jesus. With that, with that motor setup. <laughs> that was like the Chihuahua setup. Like, it, it barked really loud from the engines, but it, but it wasn't going anywhere. It very wasn't doing any damage. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, the track started getting bigger and obviously forcing that setup more and more and more. Eventually, I, I exploded the motor at a horse thief at a Just Drift event. And so did a, uh, a swap and came back in 09 with a, with a um, no, it was 010. I came back with a uh, F22C from uh, Honda S2000. That was your swap? That was my swap, and that made all of 165 horsepower to the wheel. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, isn't that like an expensive swap, from my understanding? Uh, now, like, I've, I, you know, just, I got a, like, a, a hit of nostalgia, like, a few weeks ago, and, and I was like, I wonder how much those things go for these days. And uh, I, the prices of many of the engines that, you know, in our day, we used to get for very cheap. They're astronomical now, dude. Like SR20, 2JZ GTE. I mean, I feel like the, the has the. I mean, am I wrong when I say this? The LS market has kind of stabilized a little bit, or am I wrong when I say that? No, it's pretty stable. It doesn't seem to be going up. I'm sure inflation will increase a little bit, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to go up too much. Yeah, that's the cool thing about having an engine that. I mean, it, that's manufactured in the U.S. and that you can find parts for everywhere. I mean, we were walking around the junkyard a couple of days ago, and we were just like, because it was, there came a time when every LS was being taken from the yards, and mm-hmm. we saw a couple, dude. We were shocked, and we were like, yeah. "Wow!" I just noticed that, um, like within the last year or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would say I remember I used to hear that hear about it all the time like oh i got mine from the junkyard i'm like i'm there a lot and i never saw one yeah never everything like you'd you'd see a camaro or whatever and or a firebird and there'd never be an engine in it exactly i I guess the ogs got tired of doing their swaps you know because 
Or oh, they got tired of pulling them out manually. <laughs> or pulling them out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although now they have that, I don't know if they have that program in SoCal where there's like a parts puller. You, mm -hmm. So you, you contact the dude, mm -hmm. he pulls your parts, and then you guys arrange whatever. I forget what it's, there's a program up here in Northern California. The parts puller program or something. I don't. I don't know. What it, I've never used it, but supposedly a guy can pull your parts for you, and you just show up. I wonder what he charges, because that might be worth it. Yeah. If yeah. someone charges you like twenty-five, thirty bucks an hour, whatever it is, he's running it for like not having to pull a three hundred and fifty dollar motor out yourself mm -hmm. for an extra hundred bucks. It's kind of worth it. Yeah, and I mean, like, if you were in a shop setting and you were, like, everything was optimal, that would be cool. But, dude, some of these um, yards have gravel um, floors, and it's it's not easy, man. I mean, I've never had to pull anything that big, um, but I I see the guys out there struggling with those. What, what is that type of crane that they use with the chain, the chain-driven crane? Cherry. Oh, I don't know what that's called, but the I guess that's their chair. version of an engine puller. And they're gigantic, the ones that they use at the yard, right? Yeah, because they want to make them mobile. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and they have to roll everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All, all terrain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So obviously that's that's kind of the genesis of everything, too. Like the first car we put together, we put together on, on junkyard parts, you know, and so before I had an A86, I had a Supra, and because I've been a fanboy of Supras since I was a little kid, and uh, and so we had a, a I bought a $500 Supra in 2001, I want to say. What year was it? It was a Mark III, 1986 and a half was the year. Gotcha. And uh, and. Pretty sure you can imagine what state it was in. If it, if it cost me five hundred dollars, it wasn't in great shape. Definitely <laughs> was not in great shape. I, I think I believe the individual that I purchased the car from uh, had possibly lived in it. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was a rough Supra, and so we put that together on like just that, and my first Corolla was like junkyard everything. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So let's go. What do you have done to the Corolla now? So that specific Corolla, um, there's a one UZFE, um, which is a V8 engine from Jap from Japan, and it is uh, here in the U.S. It would be out of a LS400. Um, and to the untrained ear, I'm sure you you would be able to decipher. But like uh, sometimes, like um, I'm at events and like random heads will hit me up and be like, uh, "Is that an LS in there?" Nobody, there's there's four cans in there. <laughs> you know, the, the LS sounds a lot more violent, I think, at, at certain RPM ranges. But yeah, it's it's a little baby V8. Do you have anything done to the motor? Because I've seen. Uh... Some of those things look pretty neat. Yeah, uh, so a buddy of mine, Alex, up here in NorCal, he he had a, a 
ITB one. Uh huh. Mine is bone stock. Internals, everything. The only thing I have is uh, my buddy Alex, same guy. You might know him. He used to run a shop called Limitless Motorsports up here. What's and, it called? Uh, he put in a Haltech ECU. Mm hmm. And we tuned it to uh, uh, an impressive 240 horsepower and 260 pounds of torque. At the wheels? At the wheels, yes. Nice. Yeah, I man, think I've that's... seen, don't they have like some like intake? It's kind of like a, is it called a Porsche intake? Am I, uh, am I saying dumb shit right now? Porsche intake? Hang on. Uh, yeah, I I think I'm I think I'm remembering two different things right now. I don't. The the coolest intake I've seen for it is a TRD intake. But the guy that has it won't sell it, and I probably don't have enough money to buy it anyway. So I probably shouldn't even be trying to buy it. But I don't know about a Porsche intake. But I don't. Hang on. I think I'm fucking wrong. I'm probably thinking about another motor. There's a company that makes ITBs for it, which is pretty rad. Um, I, ITBs I think... are the shit. I love the way they sound, but they do. I heard they're tricky. Yeah, to tune them, to sync them, and then, um, and then people. I mean, I don't know. I have another friend named Norman who is a tuner, and he assures me that once he put ITBs on his car, that he feels it lost torque. And he's on a dyno, so. Oh, he can probably prove it. So. Yeah, so but it, they are super responsive, and it does sound amazing. But in today's age of drifting, you probably don't want to go into a a gunfight with a with a, a paperclip, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's vicious out there now, which is cool. I mean, and, and everybody's level is a lot stronger now as well. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think I think for our little car, what what kept it relevant up until I think 2019 or what was the last year I ran that car? It was 20 2018 or no, it was 19. You and I, you and I had a couple battles with that car. Uh, we had I think you and I battled twice. Well, on which oh, in the Cadillac. That's right. Yeah, 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 man. Uh, you know what? And the in the pictures and in the videos, <laughs> you know how like uh, so both of our cars are pretty square, right? They're square looking. Yeah. So my car has the eleven front end, so I have fixed headlights just like you. Uh huh. And so I'm looking through some of the pictures of us that in our battles that we've had, and uh, and it felt like I was uh, like we were twins because we're both black too. Oh, I know. The only thing that was different was like my top, the top of my car was white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you were all black the second time we battled. No. You weren't? Mm -mm. Okay, never mind. I was just confused because it was dark. But anyway, so we we did kind of look like twins, but I, and then I figured out like, dude, I if we were on twins, you would be Arnold Schwarzenegger and I would be Danny DeVito. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the little twin. <laughs> Yeah, that car uh, is tiny. I like that about your car, though. That like, you know, like we always used to joke that a lot of '80s cars were designed with like rulers, 
Like, yeah, these poor guys in the 80s, all they had were rulers. You know, when they designed these things, that's why they're so square. I like that Cadillac brought that back with this, uh, with the CTSV or CTS or I, what is your model? I, it's a CTS. Well, my the my race car is a CTSV like Vind car, if Whoa. it matters. But it was um, I got it from some guy up north. Yeah, I remember when you got that thing. It was right after yeah. I crashed the BMW, like, like a month. Yeah, I was there when that happened too, man. I, yeah, I saw you come back in the pits, and it was, dude, you went in, you went in hard, man. Yeah, it was, it was a rough day. Yeah, what what bank was it that you went into? Was it the big bank? Or yeah, the big bank. Oh shit! I think I broke so uh, <laughs> I broke an axle in the um. In the burnout box, yeah, or at least that's my assumption. I heard a noise, came from the right rear in the burnout box, and I just ignored it. And I was like, "Ah, I'll look at it when I get back in." And then uh, I tried to clutch kick into the big bank several times, and then I finally oh, just hit the wall. It understeered and it went in. Yeah, dude, I was I was in a battle with Stuke, and he his car did a very similar thing in the big bank. I was behind them. I wasn't like super close or anything. Mm-hmm. I don't even think we were on the same line, but like, you know, you hear the impact when you're in the pits. Mm-hmm. So I saw it and heard it right in front you of hear me. It? Yeah, it's... it's brutal, man. I don't know if those K rails, do, do those K rails move? I don't think those hit? ones do. I think those are set. Those are the big boy K rails. Yeah, I think that's a like a physical wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, at some of those, uh, at some of the NASCAR tracks, they will flex, right, or deflect. Uh, they have something like that. It's not. I don't know, like the whole ins and outs of it, but I've seen it where it's like a. Uh, it's almost kind of like padding, I guess, where it'll flex. Oh. It won't let you go that far in. I don't know. It's weird, or maybe it just softens the fucking blow. I mean, if you're going to hit a wall at 200 miles an hour, regardless of what you do, it's going to fuck you up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and, and granted, you know, safety has come a long way. Yes. Even in, even in drifting, dude. Yep. Yeah. I Like, I was at a Prime Nationals event when Jim Guthrie um, fractured his neck. Holy shit. Yeah, dude. Drifting? So he was... Yes, a very similar accident to to yours, probably more similar to Stukes. Uh-huh. So he he initiated the bank. He got all the way through almost, and then at the end, he so he's at the end of the bank back then. He was probably doing about I want to say like seventy miles per hour exiting the bank, maybe sixty-five. Mm-hmm. And the car understeers right there, and he shoots right up into the bank. Dude. And he fractures his neck. Um, and I know we've come a long way because how fast do you think they're going when they enter now? Probably, like, what do you think? Like, 90? In pro In pro. In, like, pro one. At Irwindale? Probably. Like 80, 90 miles an hour? Yeah, maybe a little more. I don't know. 
And so I saw Castro. Were you there when Castro went head first into the entry? No. So he was going as fast as you could go on that course. Uh-huh. Fastest portion, which is right when you enter. And he went in head first too. And I was like, fuck, dude, he's got to be hurt. Like, there's no way. But because of the Hans device, he, he walked right out of that. Didn't he the fucking... Uh, and he was, was it Alec right Honadale that, that broke his hip? That broke his hip. I, I don't, don't know, know if it was a if it was a Formula Drift accident. Let me check. Let me Google this. I know that Joe Tardif broke both of his hips, and he was in a pro am car. But yeah, that but I, that accident was like super unique too. And then he also didn't have. Yeah. Um, he only Doors. had like those door bars that go down from like your B pillar to the floor. From if I remember correctly. Yeah, and no door skin. So that 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 accident was sucky. I mean, yeah, and that guy backed right into him from the corner too. Yeah, that was horrible, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those have been some tough, some hard um, accidents. Um, but yeah, the rules have come along. I mean, even the rule with um, the you having to have reinforcement to the firewall is is good. I mean. Couple of I've seen three Corollas. That's like the weakest one of the weakest points. And I've seen three Corollas crash and the tire come into the driver compartment. I've seen that happen to Taka and he broke his leg. That happened to John Rusakov and he he didn't break his leg. And then that happened to my other buddy and he broke his leg. So yeah, if you're in a Corolla out there, people reinforce that area because you don't want that to happen to you. Also, I might be wrong about the whole breaking of the hip on Alec Hollandale. I think I have like two memories mixing together. Uh-oh. Alec Hollandale, I always got him confused with the other Alex with an H. Alex Hilbrum? There you go. Okay, yeah. I, I They don't sound at all alike. I mean, one is Alec and one is Alex, but I guess the initials threw me off one of them had a really cool like force wang looking car that was that's uh alec Honadales. okay cool and then the other one had the bmw yeah that's out that's um hillbrims hillbrim yeah, yeah yeah yep yeah those guys uh and then they were driving at around the same time so they were hard. Yeah. yeah man it's weird that i watched someone come and leave fd now and haven't heard from them in years. Yeah, as far as both of them, actually. Well, no. Um, like, Alec Honadale is still around as far as drifting goes, but, like, I don't see shit from um, Alex Hilbrum anymore. Hilbrum, I think I still follow him, too, on Instagram. Hilbrum is from Peru, right? Correct. Yeah, so he's... I haven't... So I have a buddy who I'm really close with. That he's in Peru, and he came up, and we did some cool stuff. Um, and I haven't seen on his feed, he's out at a lot of these events. I haven't seen Hailburn out there. Um, yeah, it was so funny story about Alex Hailburn. We're in, we're at FD Irwindale mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I walk up to him. I want to ask him questions 
and the guy, like, <laughs> he was, like, on photo mode. He grabbed me and my buddy, some random person <laughs> took a picture of us, and then he walked away. <laughs> I guess he thought we wanted a picture. And oh, we really? Just, uh, All right, let's take a picture, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> or maybe he needed it for his deck or his fan appreciation stuff. It was so random. Like, he was just like, all right, here you go. Here you go, dude. Yeah, at least he didn't autograph my forehead, and so you know, without could asking, lot, could have been a lot worse, man. There you go. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, the crazy memories at Irwin did. All right. How how is it on your end? I can hear you. Yeah, perfectly. I hear you perfectly clear now. All right, cool. Oh, wonderful. All right, sweet. All right, uh, yeah, the governor and Danny DeVito. The governor. <laughs> I have one of those. I actually have. Um, my buddy Andrew got me a picture, like in a canvas, for my birthday a couple years ago of me drifting your window bank. Hell yeah! And I, I think it might just be a cropped picture of me chasing you. Oh shit! I could be wrong though. We did we end up having to go to one more time? Yeah. We did, huh? We did. Uh I don't know what happened. I think I would I think I didn't slow down fast enough coming into like the first zone. Mm-hmm. And then I hit my brakes a little harder than I should have when I got close to you and then I just spun right behind you. Yeah, I think on the first run I had uh, when I chased you, I had given you a gap that we thought was appropriate. And then you were like, went so fucking fast that I just couldn't even catch up to you. I wonder I, I wonder and if anybody gave... else does it. So, like, I've only had two battles. <laughs> That's so fucking oh, sad to say. Sorry. I'm laughing at it. Um, I've had two battles in all of the competitions i've been in uh once with rome and then once with you but we got it one more time um and uh for whatever (laughs) during those two times uh, i drive a lot more aggressive when someone's behind me i don't know why i drive a lot faster uh and I, i think i don't know why i do it but it just it just happens yeah and then do, do you think us guys that, I mean, I'm trying to practice more now, but, you know, when we don't practice enough, we're getting each lap your comfort. If everything's going well, your comfort level is increasing throughout the day. Correct. And also at night, the grip levels at Irwindale increase. So you were, you, that was, you came out like a bat out of hell, man. That was probably... The fastest lap you did that whole entire day because of all of those factors. Yeah. But. Yeah, man. That we'll was, see that how was the good. next setup works. To run the two the two square cars together. Right. We've only gone against each other once. Yeah, I've yeah, man. You're the only. I've only battled twice. Thought I was kidding. 
No, I, I battled I, you yeah. once in 2019. I battled Rome once in 2018. Yeah, dude, Rome I just let me spin out. He's like, he's gonna spin out. Ah, uh, dude, that last time that Rome was at one of our events, I almost had his ass. God, <laughs> oh, that bugs me so badly. But anyway, it's over. Yeah, what happened? I keep training and just get better. Exactly. Like same thing, like you said, I overcooked it. Um, dude, in the rain, the start finish at Irwindale is like this. Like there's no grip on the start where it's painted. Mm-hmm. And so, I went didn't through there fast. on the bank. Um. We. What do you mean? I, for some reason, I remember them starting you guys on the bank, but maybe I'm I'm probably wrong. At that specific rain event, we were, it was inner bank to inner bank, mm. but you still cross the start finish. It's still it's painted all the way down to the lower, um, the little baby, the Danny DeVito bank. Got it. Yeah, and so going through that start finish, there's just there was no grid. And I try to stay really committed through there, and I I just shot off the track. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, man, that was that was the most vulnerable I've seen Rome ever. But not gonna happen again, man. Guys, guys like him that are so consistent, they're just hard to get a good crack at them, you know. That's fair. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hey, you you battled that guy, so. We got to go up there to to the pros and get them back. Yeah, sometimes I think about that too. Like, uh, like the people who are like kind of get bummed out that they didn't make it to like the pro FD rank or pro two. I'm like, well, you still did it. Like, you know, you still went to prime. You still, you know, you still gave it a shot. I mean, you gave up, but you know, you still did it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And like, it's like what. Like everything is progress, right? You gotta learn yeah. from each experience. You know, I, I, I had the, you know, I earned my license many years ago, and I went up to the pro ranks, and um, and it didn't go so well for several factors. And um, but I, you know, what can you learn from this, and what can you keep developing as as a driver, as a car? chassis development person and and how can you improve from here that's that's really how we should see it yeah yeah just out of curiosity because i know you went to this was before they had pro 2 right so this is when they threw you guys straight into pro yeah so i if we look at drifting kind of like a historic history Mm -hmm. i i like to call our generation like the lost generation so if you take drivers like Nico Gunther, Enrique Mendoza, uh, Ryan Clemens. I, I don't know if you remember him. Um, Did he have so, the? Is he the one that had the Falcon, uh, Camaro? He had Ryan Clemens was. So the first time I met Ryan Clemens, um, he was working at Hotline Performance, mm-hmm. and he, I. Don't want to say conclusively, but I believe he was living there. And so rough ticket, right? And uh, but the guy earned his license. JTP helped him out as much as he could, and 
and uh, that's that was Ryan Clemens. He was in the um, LSFC. I think it was for um, Just Drift. He was one of the first LS swapped vehicles that was doing really strong. Mm. And so our generation goes up, and we're like two, 2012 was our rookie year. Mm-hmm. And 2012 is the year of the the Daigo, and it was also about 60 something drivers, seven no, close to 70 drivers, I want to say, for for um, 32 spots. So it was it was a rough time. I mean, it was hard. And then the jump from pro am at that point to a pro series was so massive. You know, we were running little tracks like the balcony and um, the the ovals over at, at Will Springs. So it was possible to get your license with 165 horsepower. Mm. But then, like, what the fuck were you gonna do after that? <laughs> Yeah, so it was it was tough for all those guys, and that's why I call that generation the lost, the lost generation. Um, wouldn't you kind of say that that's coming back with? Well, not coming back. I guess that makes sense. It was you were able to do it with a lot less back then, but but now, I guess. People are, I thought you were going for like a, when you went straight to freaking pro out of pro-am, which I thought was kind of gnarly. Yeah, it was insane, man. I mean, some, like, the speeds were so different. The gears you were in were completely different. The setup are different. Like, it's the level of sophistication and professionalism and just... I, Jim Lau likes to call it business acumen that is necessary to make that wide of a jump. is It's incredible. And series have improved so much since then. You know, we, we were just kids in very low horsepower cars at that point. And, and we didn't, I mean, we slapped parts on and we didn't really know about corner balancing and dialing and bite and sway bar setups or you know gearing or all that kind of stuff dog boxes were just starting to come into the 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 field here um maybe a couple years before but yeah the 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 jumps and even people always blame daigo for the horsepower stuff but i want to say that eric o'sullivan do you remember that ls powered Pontiac Solstice? No, that was before my time. I didn't get in okay. until 2015. So there was this wild Irish guy in the LS something, LSX Pontiac Solstice, which is basically like a Miata with a gigantic engine, right? Yep. And that thing, I I want to say the horsepower figures were easily in like the 7 or 6 50 or even 800 he was around that like high six to seven something uh-huh. before before daigo saito shows up oh shit so it had already got out of control and so we we kind of had bought into this myth that you could be a professional 
and win with very little because in the I believe it was Forsberg's first championship. He had won with a basically stock VK56 and just a very, very simple setup. But what we probably failed to see is that the level of sophistication that he was doing in regards to setting up his suspension and everything else, you know, gearing, it, it was already at that super pro level. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah, that that was those were tough years. I, I ran my first year it was 2012, and I had talked to the shop, and we we worked to build a uh, to turbocharge my engine. Mm-hmm. And um, the turbo was a little on the big side. <laughs> and that was probably it was the scariest car I've ever driven in my life. Um, but it wasn't hooking up that well, and it blew up on the third practice lap at Long Beach. Um, which, yeah, I was coming in hot, man. So I, it blew on entry, uh-huh. and after the engine blew, I had enough momentum to roll the car as it was off all the way back to the hot pits. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so third lap, the engine went, and then, like, I'm I'm in college, which is probably a stupid thing to do, right? I should have waited. No shit. <laughs> college kids out there, wait, okay? Get a stable job, and don't blow your entire savings on one event, okay? Don't yeah, exactly. Be dumb. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, we had seen a lot of young college people do it at that point, like Matt, Matt um, Powers, Matt Field was still in college when he got in. Um, who else? Uh, I want to say Tommy Roberts, maybe, but like, yeah. So we had seen a, a lot of guys do that, but it. And don't do it, kids. Don't do it on the college budget. You could probably do like one or two rounds of prospect, maybe on the college budget, especially if you live close to the venues. Maybe. Yeah, but it also depends on, like, the tires you're getting. I'm sure if you're getting, like, Kenders or something, or just anything that lasts really I think, do Ironmans last long? I heard they do. I don't know for sure. I never tried them. I haven't tried the Ironman. Um, I'm probably fucking wrong. Um, but, you know, getting a tire that lasts long is probably your, the most crucial thing. Um, some would say, like, oh, you could just use used tires. Well, maybe... One set of whatever, you know, good, I don't know, we'll call them Kendas or something, that lasts longer than four sets of used tires. No, that's true. Might and, be better. Because now you're paying to put tires on wheels and shit like that. You have to bring extra wheel, like a ton of extra wheels. Yeah. yeah. So it can and be there, was, there were guys competing professionally on used tires from other teams. I'm not going to say who they were because they might be ashamed if I tell the story of who it was. I know of a couple, but I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would get the buddies to go and get the tires. Uh-huh. And then they would run them. And then eventually the teams wised up and they started drilling holes in the sidewalls. Bastards. And so then these kids would um, 
would put a bicycle patch on it uh-huh. with a quarter on the on the in the in between the sidewall, the hole in the sidewall, and the patch, and they would still run the tires with the holes on them. I ain't mad at them. Yeah, man. I mean, you gotta. And one of these guys is still competing professionally today, so it's like you know, by any means necessary, man. Yeah, that's good though, because I'm glad that people do that. Yeah, not well. There's still a tire is a resource, and you know, yeah, people recycle resources. And yeah, yeah, you'll have to get that person on here, and they'll have to tell you. I think the I know. Story. It, well. I you can take a wild, is. wild guess. And, I'm and not taking probably... a wild guess. I just know we both have been involved with them at the same location. Oh, okay. So yeah, okay. I figure I know who it is. <laughs> You've got a pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's funny. He wouldn't put it past him, and he's proud too, because uh, he was there and other people weren't. Got to make those sacrifices, yeah. man. And he was sacrificing everything he could to to make it happen. And... Exactly. Yeah. I think people forget about that. <laughs> yeah, and or or people judge from the outside a lot, right? Like, that's fair. Yeah, that's yeah, they yeah, do yeah. do that. Yeah, or like they'll see a car that maybe doesn't look the prettiest and call it mean names, but some of these guys that you know, I've seen guys that haven't had an engine failure in like three or four years and running strong and. You know, in the Pro-Am series, obviously, not in the pros. They they do, they rebuild their stuff, like, almost every year, or every year. Yeah, but, well, it kind of depends on your program, too. Like, let's just say, say you have your competition car, which isn't a very expensive, it's not a pro build by any means. Like, granted, no. it might pass FD Tech, but that doesn't make it a pro build, yeah. per se. Um, then you can kind of like have a car that you go drive in whenever you want. You know, you're only taking your comp car out when you go competing and then you have another car you drive. So you can keep costs down like that. So where it comes into like not having to rebuild your motor every year because you're only on it, you know, maybe 10 times out of the year. But more than likely like three or four times. Yep. Yeah. No, three or four times a year. Hard. And, you know, just keep track of, like, yeah, 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 miles and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And just how much how much wear and tear is going into or it. At that point, I think it's hours. How many hours do you have on it? And hours, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, like, man. I'm assuming you just got a, a used engine, right? You didn't go through it or anything, right? Um. Well, a used engine for the A86, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, it's like the used V8 engine model. from Japan... Because so some most of the time I want to say the Japanese engines turn out to be really really good engines. Um, even if you, I like, I've had about three that I brought in from Japan, or that came with a car that lasted me at least seven years. Yeah. The the UZ and the and the A eighty six have lasted eight years now of like beating red line whatever abuse and no no well obviously it's gonna last because it was made for a much bigger vehicle 
it probably doesn't even feel the Corolla. It's like, what is this thing? Um, What's that thing so weigh? That, uh, with me in it, it's 23-something. Oh, so your power-to-weight ratio makes Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Then. It's pretty good, yeah. And then the dog box helps a lot. Do you have a dog box in that thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we yeah. need to get to the rest of it. Let's let's get to the rest. What dog box do you have? It's a really basic Tex 101. Um, one of the older ones, but it the, luckily I got it and it was rebuilt. So it was used but rebuilt. Uh-huh. And so that's been really good. Um, I did struggle to put the bearing, the throw-out bearing on once I put that dog box in, but... Once we got it figured out as far as the spacing, um, it was all good. It's got uh, rear performance complete, like built rear end mm-hmm. with uh, like specific, like we went 5.3 for the shorter tracks, mm-hmm. and that helped a lot. Um, and then obviously you got to run big old massive tires so um, to keep up with the big boys of the world like you and the other the other cars that are like out of the box big and what else does it have it's got s13 uh front suspension including the steering rack and uh, um, the knuckles and all that stuff that bolts on so you does the rack won't bolt on so you have to fabricate to get that in there. Um, the and once you the the lower control arms will bolt on to the A eighty six subframe, mm-hmm. but you just have to oblong or or make the holes a little bigger to take a a larger um, diameter bolt. Mm-hmm. But uh, we used adjustable. Um, like heim joints on the inside so that made it a lot easier and then you just use the corolla uh, top hats like the um what's it called pillow balls and then the coilover of the s13 will just go right up in shit did not know that yeah man so when the corolla stuff started getting really rare and you know those they just now put back into production the the Corolla knuckles, mm-hmm. but at one point those were really scarce, and so rather than just go for parts that were you know difficult to get, and the the S13 rack is just a lot more modern, mm-hmm. and the suspension of the S13 is so easy to take apart. And so that's why why it made sense. And you can adjust spring preload separate from ride height. So that helps when you go to corner balance the car. Where before, most of the Corolla coilovers at the time when we when I decided to switch to the S13 suspension, mm-hmm. it was um, the coilover on the or the strut on the A86 has a fixed. Um, what do you call it? The spindle. Mm-hmm. And so you can't, there's no way to adjust down there because it's welded to the coilover sleeve. Or it was, but now there's really cool Corolla parts out there. So I feel when I hear your podcast and I feel the, 
I feel your pain when you talk about like, dude, there's just no parts for my car. I gotta develop and figure all this stuff out. And so, at one point with the Corolla, it was exactly like that. That's crazy. And well, I'm sure it was like that for every car at one point. Yeah, like but I there was had no idea what stuff. I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You had to make a bunch of stuff, right? Uh, I made control arms. I made tow rods. I mean, other people made them, but they were kind of super expensive. Um, because they're the only ones that make them, so they're like, charge whatever the fuck I want to charge you. Um, which yeah. I get. Still working on some front suspension stuff. I just, I just don't have it in the budget right now. But it, my stuff is supposed to go to FDF. I do have a whole kit, like a whole front side suspension i need to send him that he's gonna scan and stuff but it just i haven't got it out the door oh because it's like it's almost depending on how you go i need to shop around a little bit but i heard one guy say he sent his over to him and it cost him about 450 bucks just to get to fdf um maybe he did something wrong maybe he didn't i really don't know um but that's just a reality that that can happen. It can cost up to, you know, $450 just to get it to Canada. Oh, damn. So, but we'll see. I'll, I'll look into some other shipping options and stuff like that. I just haven't actually sat down, packed it up, and uh, gotten it ready. Because I've been, like, dealing with other stuff. And then I've also just keep putting it on the back burner, even though it only takes, like, 30 minutes to do all of that. Yeah, and does this does your car share a front suspension design with like any other GM? No, it's very specific, huh? Very. So, um, for some reason, well, I guess a lot of people thought that the ATS and the CTS were the same. They're not. Oh, so it would be a similar dis- difference between the uh 350z chassis and a s13 like you well, know, 350z has double wishbone up front and s13 mm-hmm. has um mcpherson yeah yeah so oh that's a big difference yeah yeah man damn but hey little by little and... yep we're getting there i'll cross that bridge when i get there i got a sim rig finally and it's all set up so i've been I'm playing it for almost a week now and trying to learn how to like drive all you, over again. It's kind of weird. Are you doing uh, a setup? Yeah. Okay. And are you on PC? Yes. Oh damn! So you went you went big boy status on the sim. Yeah, I tried. Yeah. Well, not really. It's snowball. Someone gave me like an their old Logitech G27 they had. And then it kind of snowballed into me um, building, like, a whole PC for that. Mm-hmm. But everything else I pretty much got for free. Okay. That's not too bad. Or my, like, I I steal my son's VR headset when I want to play. And the, what is that, for like, a console VR headset? No, it's for a PC. Okay. Yeah, he bought one with his his birthday money that's right and uh, wait is he getting on it is he drifting too on the sim no he hasn't got that far yet but i put him on it the other day when i first finished it 
Uh-huh. Um, I was trying to teach him how to drive stick on it, or just he knows how to. He was driving around the track, but he doesn't like uh, fully comprehend the stick shift part. Oh man, we gotta get him on there, man. He's uh, ah, if he wants future. to, yeah, if he wants to, that's no, on. yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, man. It's interesting to see a lot of drivers and like the interactions they have with their with their children, and as far as like the kids that are getting into it, like, um, was it Shinji Minoa's kid in Japan is, um, is doing, like, uh, is competing, and, like, the, the children of the guys we idolize are coming, man. They're, they're on their way, I think. Yeah, man, it's gonna, it's gonna be pretty cool, man. So how'd you get into drifting? Like, how did you find out about drifting? Like, how'd that all start? Well, I'd say like the first time I ever saw cars like skidding tires. Um, what part of LA are you from, Joe? Uh, so I grew up in Highland Park, Eagle Rock area. They're like adjacent oh, okay. to one another. So you've seen the lowriders and all that stuff. Oh, I grew up in the car scene. So like yeah, the- yeah, yeah. So at our local park, I grew up in in a in a city called Silmar. I know exactly where that's at. My son lives there. Oh, what the heck? Nice, man. Yeah, so, uh, and so they would have, like, these lowrider meets at our at our local park. And once the meet was over, the guys would all start doing, you know, some burnies and get wild at the in the parking lot of the park. And so I'm a little kid. I'm seeing all this, and I'm just like, man, this is the coolest shit ever. Um loud cars you know dudes just getting wild and yeah so i fast forward um and like grand grand turismo one came out so i think we're my generation might be the first generation that went that drove first on a game before we drove in real life and obviously in our era it was like controller yeah, we didn't have like like these uh, incredible sim rigs that they have now, um, and so that's when I first fell in love with like imports and you know because let's be let's keep it one hundred. The the uh, Gran Turismo is a Japanese developed game and it is very it's very pro Japanese in its approach to its uh, vehicle lineup and its. Uh, tracks and yes x and z we didn't i mean i remember gran turismo one barely had american cars barely had european cars and obviously that all comes into licensing and all that you know legal stuff but so that was the first time i ever uh encountered a toyota supra and i just fell in love with those cars and so then fast forward a few more years and a few gran turismos later and like uh, you know, we start buying these magazines like Sport Compact Car and um, Import Tuner and these other different magazines. Mm-hmm. And we we didn't have much access to the internet. Like I come from like I come from the hood, hood, hood. Like nope, I got it. <laughs> yeah, like at one point our our family lived in a garage, which which LA is famous for. It's not yeah. like I was we were the only ones i think 
think LA is the place with the most people living in garages in some Cali, there, California, the United States. I don't, I don't know, some statistic. But anyway, so we have, we're starting to get into these magazines and these videos and like early stuff. Um, and then eventually, in one of the magazines, there was a um, advertisement for a drifting and we um, exhibition in, at our window. And I remember that, like, oh, drifting, what is this? You know, we, there was drag racing going on in Silmar and all kinds of bunch of stuff. We had canyons locally. So there was a good, like, uh, I guess array of different motorsports happening around us, and luckily mm -hmm. that city is just one hour away from Willow Springs, and um, because Willow Springs and Irwindale were like where everything drift was happening early, like in the 2000s, in the, in and also obviously speed 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 trial group C was a like a they would go to different tracks or whatever, and they would have certain um, run groups, a one run group that was all drifters. But I never got a chance to go out to one of those. I would just hear or like, you know, that was like that was like Benson's generation and Pfeiffer and like those OGs that started drifting for us in the U.S. And then so then after those magazines and all that stuff, and then. Um, then we finally got out to a few events, and and uh, and I was just blown away, dude. At that point, I was already searching for a for a A86, uh -huh. and like watching Katsuhiro Ueo like win the 2003 inaugural B1 Grand Prix at Irwindale Speedway in the A86. I just accelerated it, and rather than be patient again and wait. I mm. went for the first, like, non-engine rolling chassis, horrible rust, A86 that I could find. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes when we're younger, we like, uh, we're so anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially growing up poor, like I grew up. Yeah. I like I was like, oh, I could afford this. I'm getting it. Like I could never afford this as a child. Yeah. No, for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, like, and so, what was the first car that, or what was the first time you saw drifting that you, that you were like so impacted in person? Uh, I started seeing it in high school, like on TV and stuff. Okay. But I never, I wasn't really into YouTube as a kid, so which I'm kind of barely getting into now. Yeah. Um But that's kind of how I saw it. It was like on the Discovery Channel. I want to say it was a Team Orange thing. If I saw it again, it would it would obviously click back to memory, and I would be able to be like, "This was fucking it. This was the show I watched." Um, but until I see that, I want I'm not gonna know. But um, one day, hopefully, I see it. But I remember like, um, did you earlier? Did you mention Ryan Hansen? Ryan Ryan Clemens. Ryan Hampton was a Hampton. member of Drift Alliance. Okay, so Ryan Hampton is who I was talking about. Uh, I, yeah. But that I remember this is when I was growing up in the hot rod stuff. I went to like car shows and shit. Um, so I thought the 69 Camaro, which I've never ever been a fan of and I still am not. Um, 
I was like, oh, that's the coolest car in that series because it's an old car. It was the only one at the time. Yeah, that was cool. That uh, was really cool. So that and really caught was, my attention. There was also a F-Body, if I'm not mistaken, I believe there was an F-Body Firebird at one point. And there was also an El Camino, dude. I do know about the El Camino. <laughs> and the El Camino had an automatic transmission. I, yeah, I'm aware of that. That was uh, I was talking about that on the last episode, I think. Uh, I don't remember if you talked about the El Camino. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty nuts, actually. That that was yeah. There were some. Thing. There were some wild cars and like the maybe the weirdest one I remember for. Those early FD years um, was a Honda. Was it a Honda Pilot? I think it only ran one year. Jesus. And then, and then in D one, like the weirdest cars I remember, they were the Team Orange cars. They, those guys branched off and built some some cars that not many people were building at the time too. They had an Evo, yeah. and then they ran a. a uh, WRX or whatever you call those things with the bug eyes. Impreza. Impreza, there you go. Yeah, yeah there's been a couple of Impreza entries. Even in Formula Drift, there was one many, many years ago. Oh, okay. There's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the last, there's been very few non V8 podiums in FD. And one, no knock on the V8, but just historically looking at it. One of the non-V8 podiums from, like, many years ago, because there's gaps in between when you get these podiums, was um, was an Impreza. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, the guy, I believe it was at Sonoma where the guy got on the podium. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I don't know enough about Drifting's history. Uh, maybe it's because you're younger, man. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not as old as the OGs, but, you know, I've had the luck of just being in places, you know, like I was on a couple of friends' cruise, like in the, oh, nice. like 2009, uh-huh. 2008. So I, I was lucky enough to be at the very first event where the FD people, and it wasn't an FD event, it was a Red Bull event. And that was the first time they ever ran a top 32. And, and oh, really? They, yeah, they brought a bunch of cars from different parts of the world. The event was called the Red Bull World Drifting Championship. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that they that Frederick Osbo competed in the U.S. Um and a couple of other guys that were Mad Mike. That was my first time I ever saw Mad Mike. And like a four rotor FD that sounded like a, a Formula One car. Yeah, so I was just there as a crew member helping somebody, helping Kelvin. I don't know if you know Kelvin. I think I know of him. Like, I know who he is. Yeah. Um, we didn't have a good weekend that week. Well, a lot of guys didn't have good weekends that weekend. So it was like a super long entry into like these big old concrete barriers and 
my guy that uh, I'm not gonna say uh, on his first lap he he uh, backed it into the wall very very badly. Mm-hmm. And the other guys went in too. He so they had a pro am nationals concurrently running with the with that top thirty two event, mm-hmm. and a lot of the pro am guys didn't live to uh, to tell about it. Yeah, man, poor guys. I think one guy, one guy even broke his hand. Like the back of the car went into the wall, and the front snapped in, and he stayed on the steering wheel. And when the when the tire hit the wall, he like broke his hand. It's wild stuff, man. Um, I forgot who won that. I think Reese Millen won that event. That's way before my time. What year was that? 2008. Jesus. The Red Bull guy won the Red Bull event. Which, I mean, we're not going to speculate. We're just going to let it be. Um, but anyway, like, um, <laughs> so it was at this secret location in Long Beach. It was on the docks, dude. Oh, really? Yeah, like, there were, like, tugboats passing by on the side of the venue. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, it was crazy, man. And so they... I don't know if they bust in or how they brought in the actual spectator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was that was the first time they ever ran top 32 um, in any type of event ever. So yeah, just historically, it's been cool seeing seeing things develop and change. Just try. I try to be a student of the game and just learn as much as I can. Um, so with so much has changed over the years, have, uh, your cars changed at all? Yes, they have changed. Let's talk about those other cars you got, Mr. Let's talk about those I grew cars. Up, <laughs> I grew up poor, so I'm overcompensating with cars now in my yeah. adult, in my adult I gotta, life. I, gotta figure <laughs> I say that because I'm doing the same, but. No, absolutely, man. I, Hey, I know it's a problem and I know that I have to deal with it. Yep. You've got to go to Car Carholics Anonymous. You know, uh, yeah, it's bad. Um, so eventually, I I got a, a Toyota eighty six FRS, mm-hmm. and I had that. I got, okay. There's always the the car addict, the car collector addict man always has a very good excuse for why he's buying another car. See, there was a killer deal or whatever. And so I bought this FRS and just started taking it apart. It had, it was a, had been in a crash, but nothing too major. Mm-hmm. Um, it had 550 miles on it. So like the kid who owned it, I'm assuming it's a kid. It could have been a grandma, you know. Yeah. Let's say it was an old lady. The old lady that drove this FRS got. I'm I'm guessing by the type of crash that it was, she got sideways, went up on a curve, and then uh, after they totaled the car, whatever they did, then I ended up with the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I picked that up for. A very good deal. Um, it came complete. I parted out some of it and then 
Um, I gave away the engine because I was, man, I just wasn't going to use it. Um, and I think it had one bad head because that, that, that once it went on the curve, the impact was good enough that the freaking engine jumped out of the or hit one of the rails or something. <coughs> Mm-hmm. It was wild. So I got that car. Been building that for like a pro am spec car. Uh, I think the best pro am car is like a car that has, uh, you know, there's a good number of units that were produced. It makes good traction. It's within that that wheelbase magic number. What is the wheelbase I, magic number? Because I don't think it's I, 113. 113 you're pushing your, your wheelbase number there yeah so and this isn't from my mouth this is from like uh i remember i i asked forsberg a long time ago like what he thought would be the best ideal drift car uh-huh. and he said this is a long time ago he said s15 with a some kind of big torque swap this is a long time before James Dean and before Odie and these guys were all running S15. So, judging from what that guy said, I'll say that um, it's pro- it's around that like 99, 100, 102, like close to that 100 is where the, the, the magic number that these guys, or at least what people have claimed is the magic number. I wonder if that's changed in recent years. It could have. I mean, now everybody's putting so much rear weight on the car. Well, there's that. Well, I I don't understand the full realm of it yet. Maybe I can bug somebody who knows more about me, obviously. So the Mustangs are 109 inches. The E46 is also 109, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Let's check, watch. S550 Mustang. Little base. And that is going to be 107.1 inches. Yeah. And that's the new and one, right? The S550. And those cars are doing well. Yeah, but then oh. you still have, what, like the E46, which I think is 109. Um, at least that's what I remember it to be. Probably wrong. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, nope. Same yeah. as the, it was the same as the uh, other one, 107.3. Um, and, we have, and and obviously drifting has evolved. So even if even if the S15 is the most winningest car in the history of drifting, does that make it the golden like the golden vehicle for drifting? I don't know. The golden wheelbase, I yeah. It, and it obviously comes down to driver preference, and they can do so much now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of variables there. but mm-hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. Is that the reason you went with the FRS? Is because it's a... Sorry, no, not the FRS. No. Yeah, it's an FRS. Um, yeah. It's because it is 101.2... Uh, wheelbase. Um, the wheelbase played into it. So when those cars were first released, I was like a big like, "What is this crap?" You uh-huh. know. <laughs> but uh, a buddy of mine had one, and all it had was sway bars. 
and the short shifter. And uh, we were hosting an event um, up here where we host our events and and uh, he let me test the course in his car. We always try to test the course in the morning in like a really basic car so that we won't get people grumbling like, oh, you know, of course you're going to connect the course. You're in a Corvette, you know, or whatever. And so we take this really basic FRS and, uh, and man, it just with those mods, it, it drifted so well, dude. Um, I'm not trying to gas up. Toyota or whatever, um, but I was really shocked because if like if I had a stock A86 and it had the same mods, I don't think I'd be able to drive it like that. I think it um, just suits your your driving style well. It could be. I mean, one of the early things I would hear drivers complain about the the FRS is like that it transitions too quickly or that it's snappy or whatever. And I always like would say like, well, is it as snappy as a Corolla? Well, no. <laughs> so yeah, it might be that it fits it it fits kind of like uh, the driving style a little bit good. But I mean, until we have that car done, I mean, like it, it, mine probably won't feel like that because I'll have a big heavy engine in front. So we have to adapt and you know develop and just like you're doing with the with your car the CTS, little by little. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What what would would have been a um, a second choice to the uh, FRS you got? Um. So along the build of the FRS, um, a buddy of mine was a. Uh, are you referring to the Supra? No. No? No. Wait, what was the question? It I was thought like, you were asking let's just say you didn't go with the FRS, but obviously you were going to make a change eventually. Yeah. What would have that change been if the FRS wasn't around? The FRS wasn't around. Damn. Like, if it wasn't an option, if the GT86 was not an option, what would be your next Toyota selection? Affordable. I'd say IS three hundred. That's what I was asking. And, and honestly, yeah. that's what I wanted you to say. That was a uh, one of the cars I considered. Yeah, that's a good car. I mean, it's it's gotten to the like its lowest point of depreciation. It's there are parts readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, even the the Wisefab kit for the FRS eighty six uses the IS300, um, what's it called, steering rack. Um, oh, nice. Actually, you you had a dude on your pod. I can't remember his name, but he he was he built a 86 or FRS that he was running, and that that was a good one to listen to as well. I forgot the dude's name. What was his name? Wait, the he was a Pro 2 driver at one point? I don't know if he was a Pro 2 driver, but he was a guy who had... Um, had a really bad crash. I remember his story in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, uh, I think it was Leon. Okay. And he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's developing that chassis. So that was a good episode to hear. I know. I should have yeah, back on, actually, since he's got that car back together now. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah, that'd be a good guy to Leon, hear more. Leon, if you hear this, hit me up. 
There you go. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, probably IS three hundred. They're they're readily available. They're good cars. I mean, uh, what's it called? Um, even in Japan, I mean, they're they're really really good vehicles. I think that's one of Daigo's favorite chassis. And is it really? I, I saw that on the on the Heyman Robbie one of his uh, YouTube videos. Mm. Yeah, man. All right. If here's a question for you: if you if you could only watch three drifters YouTube channels, which three would it be? Oh, how do I say this? I I'll watch something if it's interesting. If you're telling me that I can only choose three interesting people, um, shit, I don't know. Honestly, don't care to see anybody's YouTube channel unless I need to know the information on there. There's so many, huh? Yeah, but I couldn't pick one over the other is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. When I go on I YouTube guess... most of the time, it's just for like, because it's something I want to learn. Yeah, unless no, they're some, doing something. Like, if it's a vlog, not interested. I'm not going to watch a vlog. Yeah. But if they're doing something productive, they're like, oh, watch me build this car. I'll I'll go watch that. And the people's okay. So now that I can narrow it down, it would be Steph Papadakis. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else does builds? It looks like they're getting a little bit more informative now with RTR, where everything was so secretive before. But now they're kind of like being like, "Oh, this is what we do. This is this is working. We're allowed to show it now." Field and Odie. We're actually giving a ton of information before. I don't know if that's still the case. I haven't watched an episode in a while, but oh, that's right, too. That's they did have that. So the that's still yeah. on. Yeah, I don't know if the, mm -hmm. it's a friend of me's episode, but I do remember like Matt's whole Corvette build is on there. Mm -hmm. So if I ever do like a car switch, I mean, to like a you gonna Cadillac, go Corvette? Uh, I would. Uh, I would want to do a Cadillac XLR. I think the only reason I wouldn't do one is because somebody else is building one right now, and I really want him to finish it first before mm -hmm. I had to go build one. Um, yeah, yeah. Dude, the Corvettes, there, there's like so many. I, I wasn't at Winter Jam this past weekend, but there was a I saw a bunch pictures, of yeah. There was yeah. A bunch. Yeah, I'd get one. Um, I'm not going to say no. Uh, that's what I've been using on a Seto Corsa, and it makes me want one. Yeah, I bet, man. Like, uh, I, I, I don't think I ever rode in fields because he'll he would come out and test at our events. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but I rode in the uh, the part shop Max Corvette, and that was a C six, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And I just thrown his parts on it, and dude, it was like. Just with the coilover setup and the knuckles and the cam that he had in there, it it felt like a competition car, like a middle tier prime competition car. It was it was it was eye opening, man, to see a car out of the box like that. Well, uh, who did well in one? Um, Evan Bogovich, who drives for Field now on their uh, prospect team. 
He had a vet. That's right. Isn't yeah, but he did really well. Um, I think he had quite a few car problems, but he always like worked around him. Like he was at, uh, maybe not the first event I met him, or maybe something was wrong. I don't remember, but I do remember him having an issue at the twenty twenty Just Drift shootout at Willow Springs. Okay. I think his rack was fucked up and he was driving without power steering. Oh. Yeah. I saw Ryan Cotto do that once in an S14. And he was handling it, though. Like, fucking Evan can drive. Um, yeah, yeah. Same same with Cotto. I mean, I mean if, if Cotto had had the budget, I could see him being a Formula Drift champion. I'm not hyping him up. He was the guy who was just that incredible, too. I wonder if people don't realize how much that's important. Like, you can't just be an amazing driver. You have to get the money to to be supportive. Yeah, to sustain Or the knowledge. Yourself. Yeah, or the knowledge, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Or or build into it in tears, you know, like... Yeah. Watching, like, Odie's program evolve from, like, an S13 with an SR in Pro-Am. Like, a really basic clean looking S14 his first year with uh, LS and then like even watching his tow vehicles and like how the steps he took to where he's at now is like it's incredible it's pretty gnarly to see these guys come up though and you don't realize like oh that's you're if you're really doing this if you're gonna go all the way through that you're just not you just haven't gotten there yet doesn't mean you can't yeah no, Doesn't absolutely. Mean you will either, sadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the probably the the example right now to follow for a lot of the kids that are coming up is, I'd say someone like Rome, mm-hmm. you know, who was just you know making memes with everything he has, and I think he said like his budget for like his first season of of I think it was still Pro Two at that point. Mm-hmm. It was, he said some. it was under like $20,000. Yep. Yeah. He was on here. He talked about it. I don't remember the exact number, but. Well, I got to go back and listen to that one. That is the like most listened to episode. (laughs) The Rome one? Yeah. Hell yeah. Right on, man. Yeah. I mean, there's, I wonder if you had like the, the broke guys commandments to, uh, to running competition, I wonder what they would all say, you know, like if you got him and I'm sure even the top pro guys at one point were, you know, struggling to, to keep their programs going. Yeah, I think I remember listening to something about like Chris Forsberg, like he was living out of a shop at one point. Yeah. Um, but that's... that's- a little easier when you don't have a family and shit so no absolutely you can make those sacrifices i'm pretty sure a lot of us that do have families or kids whatever if we didn't have that we probably would be those same people be doing some wild stuff yeah Yeah, i I remember hearing a story of a driver who was like slept at the track was like cooking eggs on like a camping grill in the morning Mm mm-hmm and like just doing every every everything they could to save their budget for 
only the specific things that they needed. So it's uh, it's wild, man. It's like the the lengths that people are willing to go through. Like uh, Jones at one point flat towed his car to New Jersey, dude. Um, Pfeiffer, Alex Pfeiffer flat towed his car from L.A. to Atlanta with another car. <laughs> <laughs> like, how insane is that? Like, you know, just these guys were going to get there at, at whatever the the cost was. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's a, like those type of stories to me are like the, like really, not just interesting, but they're like what makes drifting such a unique sport because you can't at one point you could do that in the series like a nascar series or like a like a full race series or like but nowadays there's no way you could do that you know and the professional so it's almost like we're the closest to like the way that things were in motorsports ages ago we're like these uh fossils man <laughs> i think that's even grassroots now because even pro-am nobody's showing up into the car they drove there or i don't want to say nobody most people aren't yeah you might no, have absolutely. one or two people yeah i don't even see the flat toes that much anymore uh i haven't seen that at all i i flat toed to a pro-am nationals once <laughs> something wrong with it <laughs> hey you made it yeah, Matt Somebody Powers didn't. Yeah, those guys. There, there's a bunch of guys flat towing in the olden days. Back in my day. Yeah, you're like, I hope this shit works. <laughs> I hope it gets me there. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. I hope a wheel bearing don't go out on the way. Yeah, or there was just guys telling me like, dude, your transmission doesn't explode, and so after that, I was super scared of like. But then why would it explode if when you drive a normal car, the drive shaft or whatever is still, I don't know. I don't know how it works or what the magic is behind the transmission exploding when you're flat I would towing. have disconnected it. Someone would have told me that, and if I would have had to tow it back, I'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll take it off. Take it off. Yeah, I just always left it off, like whatever. I think the scariest thing when I was flat towing was like, Sometimes forgetting to put the handbrake down on the car that you're flat towing. And then you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? Hey, why is my car smoking? And you get out, you park, and you get out, and you go check, and your rear rotors are, like, glowing <laughs> red. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that happened to me a couple times. <laughs> More than once. More than once. Yeah, I kept forgetting. I should have just put a big banner on the inside of the windshield that said, Put your handbrake down, idiot. Yeah, it happened a few times, actually. Um, so, with the FRS, um, where are you at with it now? Because I know it's still in, pro in progress, right? Yep. It's getting a lot closer. I mean, not... I still need to, um, so I'm going to do the rack already from now, like, might as well do that right now. So mm -hmm. I could go electric rack, but that, which is what it comes with. But I mean, everyone I've seen that has had a, a success with that car 
I, mean, I think Ryan Turk was the only one using the electric rack. And that, like, I don't want to, you know, go into that. You got to have all these things to do with it. So we're going to put a, an IS-300 rack in it. And it basically goes inside of the cross member, which is weird. But that's how it goes in there. And so I'm going to start with that. The roll cage is all done. It's at, It's getting primered right now. And then... It's got to get whatever has to happen for the transmission tunnel. And the engine mounts, I'm just going to use, like, excessive basic off-the-shelf mounts for now. Mm -hmm. And then the engine and the trans should be in pretty soon, and then we can start, not me, but someone who knows what they're doing can start wiring it up. <laughs> because I don't, I've, heard, I've heard the stories here, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, they can be done, like you always say, but, like, you, like, I think one of the last episodes you did, you were talking about the painless kit and how it would just be like, you know, just do that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's the best bet, because then you don't have to run every wire and everything like that. You have a fuse box. The wires are long enough to get to the taillights, to a fuel pump, if that's where you're putting it back there. I mean, if you got to add, like, a relay to the fuel pump, which you should, or any accessory for that matter, like fans or something, I mean, you can cross that bridge when you get there, but you'll have a wire long enough to trigger it, at least. Oh. Okay. Wiring's easy if you just do one thing at a time. It's kind of like a uh, process of elimination. Mm -hmm. So, you know, run all your wires, mount your shit. And then start connecting one device at a time. You start with your brake lights, move on to the next device. Okay. Yeah, I, I still don't know if I want to try it. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah it's not for everybody, the, though. Maybe on the next build, or maybe on like a Corolla that I put together in the future. Yeah. Maybe not on this one, because, you know. You want it nice. Yeah, we got to get it. And I definitely wouldn't have the skill set to do it. Have you, seen, have you seen Aaron's work? Uh, Wolf? Oh, that guy is pretty incredible. Dude, it's so amazing. <laughs> I remember, like, he first started in, like, I think it was, like, 2015 or 2016 when I saw him, like, post something about wiring. He may have been doing it before then. Um, yeah. And I had been, like, working, like, with wiring my whole life, and then, like, within a year, he was doing, like, full-blown kits for, like, professional Whoa. motorsport wiring, yeah. and I was like, holy shit, that thing looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I've had a couple of buddies up here that did their own harnesses. Um, shout out Sherry, Ignacio, Alex. Those, those guys did a pretty badass job on theirs. It looks pretty good, but it's like not like Aaron does the mill spec and does yes. the disconnect at the firewall and does the the different crimping and all this other stuff that's just crazy. Yeah, he's uh, he does a really good job. Yeah, I, I think I'd probably like. I'd probably go like Jason Kim. I like how basic his are, mm -hmm. so that if an idiot like me does have to tear it apart, which his wiring is pretty solid, okay. then I, it's doable. Yeah, and he's yeah. down here, right? He's down there. Yeah, he's in the like harbor area, oh, or okay. like. He's at actually he's at Apex's old head, 
or it's still Apex's headquarters. He just uses the back area where there's like a dyno and like uh, they have a fabrication shop in there and uh, they do it like in-house. They can do a lot of stuff there. Oh, okay. Uh, Apex sounds familiar, but I can't remember. I can't put my finger on it. They're a parts company, right? They're a parts company that was originally based out of Japan, and they um, their U.S. office is in somewhere in Orange County. I, want to say. I might be wrong. Um, yeah. They used to run a pro team. Mm-hmm. Um, they ran an SC430. And yeah, and they were and they were here when D one first came here, which was the first professional series to touch the United States. Oh, okay. Yeah, dude, good old D one. So, you have the other two cars. You have the A eighty six and the GT eighty six. So, how did the Super come to be? Yeah, man, that thing just came into our lives. No. <laughs> So um, I had saved up some money to uh, finish up the FRS, and the Supra had always been like a, a childhood dream car of mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to tell my homies one day I'm gonna have a Supra, and they used to laugh. They used to... <laughs> well, I probably sounded like hella more Mexican. Like, one day. <laughs> I'm going to have a Supra. And they <laughs> just laugh like, fool, you live in a garage. Where are you going to park it? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, man. So I say I had money saved up a little bit, little, you know, little by little. And then my buddy put his Supra for sale. Fresh motor, you know. And uh, I just kind of was interested you know, went out, looked at it. I'd had done tandem with the Supra before, because um, he used to drive that car in Pro Am. So it was a former Pro Am car. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I picked it up. It was a fairly good deal. It was a, it was a dream car that um, turned into a nightmare. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it wasn't a nightmare, but like with every car, you have to go through everything and make sure it's run, it's good. And so we've turned every single bolt on that car. Yeah. And that was that was painstaking. I mean, you know what it's like. You did it with your car. Yep. And so we changed everything: suspension, steering, you name it, differential. Everything came off of that car. Pulled the motor out. And so, yeah, it was, it was, I thought it was going to be more ready to go, but at the deal that I got it for, it was just not, not going to, it was going to need some work, obviously. Yeah. And so that's more of like a childhood dream car, but, you know, now that there's so few of them, even the, the guy you had on a couple episodes ago who has two of them in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. He was he was saying that they there's only four thousand in the northern was it in our northern Amer- uh, North America? Michael Elsie, yeah, probably. Yeah. So he and that and he said that those were the numbers that came in for left hand drive ones. And then he also mentioned the 
the Rad Dan accident. And like once I saw that accident and I saw the amount of resources that it took to put his car back together, I was just like, you know, this car is really awesome. It drifts amazing. And um, we, we got it as dialed as it can get um, for what resources we have. But there's no way we can run it like that. Like there's no way we can throw it at at a wall and total it and come back from that. So with that in mind, the the FRS has to has to get done. So what are they, what are your plans for the super then? Uh, just clean it up and uh, fun car. Maybe register it as like a classic vehicle and. Go um go enjoy some mountain driving every once in a while. Would you cut the cage out and make re interior everything? I don't think so. I think uh I maybe some sections of the cage so that I could put like door panels and stuff back on. Mm-hmm. I think the car that I'm really inspired by for that car is uh have you seen Forrest Wang's black S fourteen? Uh it's been a while. Didn't he sell it? No, I didn't know he had sold it. No, I, I'm asking. I thought he did. I don't know. But it, it had, like, some interior, a full cage. And I thought, like, to me, that, that car was super inspiring for what to do with the Supra. And just clean it up, you know. Um, I think I want to enjoy it, but at the end of the day, it's it's a car that's going to accrue value. And so maybe one day I can... I don't know, send the child off to college on it or something. That's true. Yeah, man. Um, so, what's your... You think you'll be done with the FRS this coming year? That's what we're. I'm shooting for. But and To compete back again in 2023? 20... Maybe... I'm guessing... I'm going to be realistic. I think... Tail end of 2022, be competing. So possibly run if Rathina and the Drift League is going to have a later round. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they avoid those those sweltering, disgusting months at, at Willow Springs. Um, which you are right, Irwindale does feel way fucking worse. Yeah. I never had a heat stroke at, at Will Spring, and sometimes it was like 116 out there. But I had a minor heat stroke at Irwindale. But I, I also haven't been this fat ever. I mean, <laughs> okay, let's be politically correct. I've never been this husky before. Yeah, it's uh, it's rough at Irwindale. I think people forget, don't realize how hot it gets there. Because I think it's because yeah. of the bowl. To be honest, yeah, 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 and all the heat gets in there, and then, so yeah, Irwindale is rough, man. Like I, I had a crew member who like it was like his first time there, and that, and I'm like, dude, uh, do you want me to give you a ride back into the pits? And he gets in the car, and like, well, obviously my cars are black, so he's like, thirty seconds later, the dude is sweating, dude, and he's like, you, he's like, he stood, stop the car, man. I'll just walk back to the base. And so he gets out and he just walks back and it's like, sorry, dude. 
Irwindale's brutal, man. It's especially in those hot months. It's and then the the length of the drift league event, like you're going from morning till night. It's it's grueling, man. It's but I like it. I like that it's grueling. I don't know if I like that. It could be fucking a two day event. It could be, but I like the pressure aspect. Like uh, my favorite part of drifting is going one more time. Like I think, like so the pressure aspect of that one crazy day is insane. I do see the argument for the two day events, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and then and. I could go either way, to be honest. The two-day event would be a lot more um, paced. You know, we always... And Rathina does a good job of keeping us on schedule. Um, but, yeah, like, I love the pressure, man. I think I think you'll do driving under pressure that you would never do in any other situation, even if you're just having fun with friends, like, under the pressures when and like almost like what you said earlier about once you get into competition there's some there's a different element and a lot of times like sometimes people who drift for fun will disparage competitive driving mm-hmm. and sometimes maybe will disparage fun driving but i don't know whatever um there is an element that that only happens when you when you compete, and that that's not present in any other form of drifting. Drifting. I, I think I see that. Yeah, I mean when the when the pressure is on and you got to go one more time against Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> and you're just Danny DeVito, you know, you gotta you gotta do something. Yeah. This... Uh, I wonder, she hasn't talked about doing anything yet. She hasn't released anything. She hasn't double-checked. But I did notice, because I started, I downloaded um, the Irwindale track last night for Assetto Corsa, and I did notice Mm -hmm. it does have the Drift League flags on it. No way. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. On what part? Um... Just along the fence. You know how they set the, all that fun stuff up? Yeah, 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 man. Cool. Yeah. Have you ever competed? Oh, so you've only ran the um, the Drift League, right? Uh, I did one round of Just Drift. And I, uh, oh, okay. I beached it at Balcony pretty bad. I Have also almost uh, ran over David Carey at one point. No, you can't kill David Carey, man. Nope, you're probably not supposed to do that. David Carey's indestructible, though, man. He, uh, it, it was, was an interesting day for sure. Damn, man. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I've ran a bunch of different series. I'm not. I'm. I think I'm gonna be a pro am lifer, man. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, man, I'm cool with pro am. Like, I, I like, I enjoy pro am. Um. I think my my first pro am battle ever was like oh oh eight, and so it's been been a while, man. I've seen some really good drivers in pro am. Like Jason Kim is one of them. 
Uh, Mickey Friel is definitely another one of them. You know, Rome. I've seen some guys that were, you know, or either the car, the guy, every the whole program. Like, like you always say on your show, it's like it's a, it's a balance of driver, program, spotter, everything, crew. And I've seen guys that have been able to put it together really well, and hopefully, we can get into that. Not hopefully, we got to put the steps in place to get into that that side of things. Yeah. It, that can be uh, having the crew is kind of hard unless it, I feel like unless you're paying for it. Yeah, especially having consistent guys like uh, you know I've been really lucky. Just consistent guys that know you, that know like your the synergy of the team, and mm-hmm. that understand your driving style or the car that you guys are, are, are using. Like one of my crew members, once we finally moved into a house, he's uh, he's my childhood friend and he's he is a mechanic, but he's also like a truck driver for the city. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a blessing to have him. My girlfriend will sometimes spot for me and she she's gotten really good at that. Um, but I mean, we can always improve, you know, we always have something to learn, but like just having familiar faces, because sometimes you could have a crew and you won't really know them that well. Um, but just having familiar faces helps so much, you know, um, and just seeing, seeing their growth as you're developing. Um, yeah, I, I think... I have set certain goals for when I go back, like um, fitness goals, like different types of goals that I want to accomplish, and as well, like helping develop the crew members that are going to be coming back as well. But like I said, luckily we've had consistency with them. Um, yeah. I don't have a whole setup team yet. I want to, but I feel like I gotta pay people. I think that's the only way I'll be able to get one. But then it's like, I don't know what the going rate is. Like, what do you pay somebody to go to the track fee for a day? But yeah, also, that's true. also can be like, it depends on who it is. You know, I've thought of hiring someone who's on a pro team. Mm-hmm. And just so they could help us as a team get organized and bridge that gap between what we know and what they know, which is obviously still a large gap for us. No, but Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, or just the steps of, obviously we have our way of doing things, but seeing even their way of like car setup, like what what are the first things you guys dial in when you get to a new track? and every team is different, right? Like, I've heard different... Like, I've heard James Dean say, like, okay, we set up for optimal grip, and then we just adjust tire pressures after that. Is Was... I don't know. Maybe other teams do different things. And yeah. Everyone has their different ways of doing it. I know at Irwindale, they do all kinds of witchcraft to make sure those cars stay up on the bank. Yeah, I, it's... Uh, I've heard some stories, man. 
Like guys will raise one corner of the car and lower another corner of the car and run a spacer on one back tire and do all kinds of crazy shit so that the car will stay up on the bank. So yeah, just learn. It's witchcraft at this point. For us, yeah, because we don't understand it. But once we learn more of those intricacies, it, it'll be science. It's true. And then, and then we won't call it witchcraft. We'll say that is scientific. Uh, yeah. And you also do the Drift Central thing, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been... we've. Is it Central or Drift Sen Cal? Drift Central. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we started, so my girlfriend and I co-founded Drift Central in 2016. Uh-huh. And since then, we've hosted 48 Drift Days. Oh, nice. Uh, drifting events, yeah. And, uh, man, we've progressed with that, too, and just uh, the the community up here was, they've been great to us, and it's just been, like, humbling you know um also the cars like it was like we in the beginning we would see like ka's and like really basic cars Mm -hmm. um so it was almost like jumping in the time machine being like in la back in like 2003 or 4 that was super refreshing you know like to see these kids that are barely getting into it it almost like when you've been um, doing drifting for so long, you forget what the the excitement of a beginner sometimes, and that's. I hope to do events and never forget what that what that is. You should come out and practice with us one day, and we'll get you settled, man. We'll get you. I'd love I, to, but it costs money. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And uh, that's what I'm kind of focusing on right now is trying to make some more money get situated for the next uh, couple of years but I'm kind of spending time with the family this year that's good man uh, at least that's the plan I mean I still want to do at least like one or two rounds of a of a shootout or something because I'm pretty sure that's all there is now it looks like that's where that's where it's going for everybody even Vegas everybody yeah, which is fine, but I just want to make sure that um, I can still like hang out with the family and stuff for one year before I. Uh... Before you go full ham. Exactly. Hell yeah. Yeah, man, and pretty soon the 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 little guy might be driving. Yeah, if he wants to. Yeah, I mean, no, I that's... want him to. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't want to force him into it either. No, not at all. It's gotta be organic, man. Yeah, I want him to like want to do it on his own. But yeah. as soon as he does, I'll, I'll, of course, I'll support him one hundred percent. Full support, man. Yeah, man. If you if you ever make it up here, um, yeah, be I would. I mean, if you want to run a shootout, obviously, um, I would strongly encourage you to run Winter Jam. Um, the event is really, really good. It's it's fast on fast track, so you'll be running speeds that people do run on actual FD courses. 
um, whether you do the shootout or whether you stay on turn 11, like there's several courses there where you can drive really fast. And that's one thing that was really cool about Golden Gate Drift. Mm. Once Luke Crowell started renting out um, Thunderhill, dude, we we would sometimes compete on courses that had one, two, three, or four consecutive fourth gear corners. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude. It was insane. And so that was the first time in the, in the Pro-Am event that I've ever competed at those type of speeds, and it was just... It was incredible. Like um, The Golden Gate's no longer a series, but, man, even... Even when Field would come out and test, he said that he was he had a speedometer and said that he was doing like ninety five while drifting. Oh shit! Yeah, it's well, insane. Well, isn't that wheel speed not necessarily a speedometer on the? Uh... I'm I'm pretty sure his wheel speed must have been a lot higher, but I don't know. I I can ask him and see what he says. But yeah, in if when we ran the back of Thunderhill, mm-hmm. dude, there was. Five consecutive fourth gear corners that you could link. And that was like... I'm in a Corolla, so my me saying fourth gear is not like wild, but I know like Tardif and the guys with like the five, six hundred horsepower cars were still doing it, so... Just the amount of, of speed you're getting in there is just wild, man. I think that's so important to get out to tracks where you can drive at the speeds that you're going to be driving at, at in, in pro events because if you don't, you're going to be like our generation of drivers that just went in and it was like throwing hamburger meat into a grinder, man. We just got we got our asses kicked by everything. The yeah. horse, the other drivers, the professionalism, everything. I want to go to. Um, I want to do an out of state event if I can soon, um, but like twenty twenty three. I'd like to do like clutch kickers or something. That's in Florida. Yeah. Okay. So that sounds interesting for sure. It sounds fun. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully everything's all set up by then. We'll see how my life is going. Kind of yeah, a year man. from now. Nick Dazon in the, in Vegas does a, a like super professional the way those events are ran. Oh really? So that that those are fun. Oh wait, you were supposed to drive at one of those. Yeah, I paid for it too. And then it COVID just wiped. It you just guys fucked off everything it. up. Like yeah, I was I was oh, planning no. on finishing my car by a certain time. Yeah, and you know work kind of got slow for a minute. So I had to worry about that. And then the second, the reschedule got canceled again? Yeah. Damn. Because I remember for a while listening, like, you were worried about your seat being in compliance. Yeah. But then the second time, you guys didn't get to run either. That's when I was like, I'm done. You're like, all right. Did they, he's, has, he's brought that back, right? That. Have they uh, had another shootout since that? He that, had yeah. that shootout this year. I don't remember Until what weekend 2021? it was. 2021? Yeah, it went all the way to 2021. Whoa. 
Wow, so. that's rough, man. That is rough, man. Yeah, I was, you know, I was reading an article in Grassroots Motorsports, and it said that club racing and like grassroots events weren't as impacted. Mm-hmm. But maybe that was for grip. But as far as like drifting, there were a lot of series that shut down. Yep. Um, like obviously the drift league was one of them. Yeah. Um, as well as Southwest Drift. I don't think Evergreen had an issue. I could be wrong. I think they figured it out. I think they figured out a way to work around it, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, specific states right yeah i know east 10 drift didn't do anything if i'm not mistaken i know nola drift was supposed to bring a prime series that didn't happen uh because of covid i think i don't know i have i'd have to get them on the show if i can yeah because i would like to know it definitely disturbed everything and we're starting to get back to uh some semblance of normality. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think it may end up helping the drifting community out. Maybe it'll kind of slingshot it forward a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Second, I mean, people, and and it's like what Rathina said a few like a, a few episodes ago. She said you that businesses have to adapt. Exactly. Yeah. And then, it's exactly what a lot of these um, series have done, and including us. And our, we don't host a series, but you know our our events are more like on the, um, you know, for learners and for you know we get drivers of all skill levels. Um, but yeah, I mean we've had to adapt and and change strategies, and you know, and do all, whatever we've had to do to to stay relevant and that you know we're still talking <laughs> yeah but when's the last time you guys had an event we hosted hmm. have we been out there in the cold dang it i'm blanking out here november 6th oh so you just recently had one yeah how many um how many events have you had recently like post covid or post covid not many dude i'd say like four no i get it that's why i was just curious yeah but now it seems to be like you can go back to being normal as long as everyone's cool with the whole mask thing or something yeah no local um suggestions are or mandates yeah i think the challenge for us in northern california is finding different venues the events mm-hmm. um, like Sonoma's cool but it's like a big official NASCAR track so their weekends are always you know busy or they're doing road racing or whatever and they're probably or they're pretty expensive to rent um, and then there's other venues that do autocross but they don't do drifting and you know we've tried to turn over every rock in the neighborhood and you know you you gotta hear some no's before you hear yes 
So I'm I'm not gonna give up. I think we we're gonna keep searching and find like venues that are more relevant for our our base of drivers. Yeah. Um, what other track? You guys have Laguna Seca up there somewhere, don't you? Yeah, we actually live in a city called Salinas, mm-hmm. and uh, we're pretty close to Laguna Seca. Uh, I'd actually like to drive that, but grip driving, obviously, you can't take. They, yeah, that's they'll not probably, They'll probably send the, the National Guard in if I start drifting. <laughs> 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 I get really angry. Um, I wonder but, why they don't allow it. You know, at one point there was a competition hosted there. Oh, really? A Formula Drift competition. I believe it was a. It might have been a D1 competition, but I want to say it was Formula Drift, and it was a. Um, like a exhibition type of competition. Oh, okay. So kind of like yeah. the, uh, the Long Beach. Grand Prix version? Yeah, similar like that. And then after that, there was never, ever another drift event on that track. Again. I guess, I wonder if it's just like, are we only going to be allowed in once once the, uh, the younger generations start replacing the old generation roles as far as like, who's the decider of who gets to come in and out of the track? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm like, saying? and what's not yeah, yeah. like once once Harold dies the, Jeff yeah. Jeff's gonna let these fucking drifters in you know what I mean <laughs> like it's, yeah 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 no like, absolutely sounds fucked up but yeah yeah yeah, yeah I can and see I, that happening yeah and I could also see how like and it's kind of a double standard because I know that like certain groups who rent certain prestigious tracks like Laguna Seca, will throw a rally car on there and light up all four tires, and that's perfectly okay, but we can't bring a drift car and do an exhibition or anything like that. But, you know, I think, like, time will open these venues up for us. Just like in the beginning in Los Angeles at Willow Springs, they were... When Charlie and the Just Drift guys started going there, they were only allowed on one track, and it was only the balcony, and it was tiny. It was smaller before? It was tiny, dude. Like, you know where that green monster is, the the box, the concrete? So it was way shorter than that. Like, they, they used to only be able to make a left. And so at the beginning, the joke was just drift, just left. And then after a while, they, they kept evolving Willow Springs. And uh, they were eventually allowed to go on um, Horse Thief Mile. Because that wasn't a, even a car track. That was supposed to be for like motorcycles or something. I, I don't remember exactly, but drifting wasn't allowed there. Mm-hmm. And eventually they even put drifting on the ovals and then even on Streets of Willow. At, at one time we even did a demo on Big Willow. It was really stupid, but for some reason... What the reason, fuck are you going to do on Big Willow? It's like three corners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can drift the Omega if you come in hot enough. Um, <laughs> we used to go grip driving there and, and I've had cars go sideways on me and I've just held it up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> 
but they we they did a demo there and it was um Essa and Charlie and Martin Ranch who actually had a black Supra back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember Essa going for turn two, which is I believe is the the biggest corner. And he, dude, he cleared the whole thing. He was in his FC back when he still had that. Before my time. Before your time, yeah. He had a LS powered FC that he began his Formula Drift career in and his mm. he ran his whole prime he ran in that club. And so the drifting spread from one track to all of them. And so hopefully in the future we'll get to go to these like venues that are, you know, just even Long Beach is one of those prestigious venues that was open-minded enough to allow drifting, and now drifting is one of the you know, like you you think of Long Beach, you think of drifting as well now. That's true, because it's been around for so long now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think oh, 2007. I want to say it was the first round, first time they ever did that. Oh wow. And they've done it since, right? And they've done it. Uh, they might have not been a pandemic. Well, yeah, that that was. But I'm but saying. But that's the exception to to them running it there. I feel like that's an exception for everybody right now. At yeah, least the no, first I'm... year of the pandemic is. Yeah, 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 and that's... yeah, definitely. And that and there, I mean, it would be so difficult without spectators because that's how you probably generate the revenue to close off those streets so it just wasn't realistic i wonder if they had to like add more time or if they were just able to like work it in um the first year I, i believe the first year they ever ran long beach it was a demo during the same weekend as the um long beach grand prix mm and um there were some cars that were like d1 cars that were there still um from the ones that had stayed from all those years so it's just like the crop the the what's it called you know how like the beginning d1 grand prix and then some of that kind of carried over into formula drift and then now formula drift is its own huge series yeah exactly yeah, that makes sense. Um, did you get some questions, sir, that you asked on your Instagram? I did. Did that? Did you see them? Yes, I did. But I'll read the ones in English. Oh, you can read the Spanish ones. I'll oh, translate no. for you. <laughs> no, I don't even speak Spanish. Okay, go for it, dude. All right, give me one second. I'm opening up the app. I do remember you getting that. You got a few. But yeah, not smart enough to speak the Spanish. Uh, nope. First question was diff, spool, or welded. Oh, okay. And and why? So I was always diff in the beginning, and and um, and then recently I've gone more towards the welded. But I there is like a in 
I really want to try diffs again now. So I can't give a definitive answer. But I feel that with a diff, like, and probably um, one of my partners, Weird Performance, would be the right guy to ask this question to. Because mm. he does rear ends all day and all night. Shout out, Spence. And, um, but with the differential, it will open up so that you can run an outer line a little bit better than with a welder. And if I'm wrong, please, comments, whatever. I'd love to learn and hear other people's perspectives. I'm going to change my settings on my car on a subtle course now that you said that. See if oh, I can you stay can... on the wall. Yeah, that'd be cool. To... And, and maybe the sim could answer this question for us. Yeah. I'll find out. Yes, sir. And that was uh, asked by Gorilla Tornado. Just so we're... Oh, sweet. You got another one. Uh, Black Flag. Instead of A's, he uses fours. What's your favorite track? Doesn't have to be one you've driven on or been to. Um, doesn't have to be one that I've been to or driven on. Just you know, or your favorite on. track. Shit. Since track we're the first, I guess since we're the first kids to come from digital to real life, I'd have to pick like a. I guess my favorite track on. On digital would be Sukuba. Really basic track, right? There's like nine corners, but it's so fun, man. Where's that at? Digitally. It's in Japan. They used to run a leg of the D1 Grand Prix, Grand Prix Championship there. But like that track is a blast if you're drifting, if you're gripping, if you're. I've even like gotten on like uh, Gran Turismo and ran like go-karts through there and when you get like 10 of your buddies it's it's bonkers man it's, yep and then in real life shit man I have such an emotional attachment to Irwindale Speedway even though it's so basic but then like balcony is like I learned everything there so Probably those two. I'd say Irwindale Speedway and then Balcony. And then obviously, I, dude, we have so many good tracks in just California. Yeah, for real. Like, we even, let's say we wanted to go grip driving one day and just, I mean, you're still driving at speed. We'd have so many choices of racetracks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. So, yeah, probably those, those three, like, I'd say, like, Zucuba. Um, Irwindale and Willow Springs. You got two I other see, ones. I see one in Spanish. I'll translate it. It's from Joaquin, my, my bro. It says, when are you coming to Peru? Man, that would be cool, man. But I don't know how open travel is right now. But you know what's the really awesome thing about Peru, other obviously than our awesome, cool friends that are down there? Uh, did you know that they imported JDM right-hand drive vehicles into Peru? I did not know that. But they converted all of them to left-hand drive. Why? 
be so they could be compliant with whatever the laws were in Peru. So in Peru, you'll see like a JZX100 or a like uh, whatever Japanese car, and it'll be left-hand drive. Huh. Wild, right? Uh, I remember that's crazy because I remember seeing like a left-hand drive R32. I wonder if it came from there. I don't know. You know it's, it's crazy. I mean, but then this was, I don't know if it was the factory doing it or I'm guessing. I don't know. Possibly because these were of some sort. Maybe, yeah. Because these were used vehicles that were going into Peru. Shout out, Joaquim. A todos los hermanos de Peru. Hmm. Shout out. Yeah, man. That's pretty nuts. Now, when can we import cars from Peru? Does that sound count as the same year? <laughs> yeah, that's true, huh? When can we bring their cars? Because getting like a left-hand drives chaser would be cool. It Not that I be. care for them, but just to say that I have one. Yeah, I mean, here it would be like a collection piece, right? But yeah, exactly. In Japan, like the chaser was like the poor man's out-of-the-box competitive car. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, some of them had two JZGTE. Mm -hmm. You share a lot of the similar suspension with the other Toyotas and rear end and everything. You just bolt on some coilovers, and uh, I think Daigo Saito won his championship in a chaser at D1. Oh, shit. I don't think here in the States we had a out-of-the-box ready. To, maybe the Corvette would be as close as it comes. Like, out of the box, ready to go. Maybe you just bolt suspension and build a cage and you're ready to party. Yeah, I wish we had more cars like that. That are affordable. Uh, that are affordable. Next question is going to be from Rafe86FD. What spring rate do you recommend? Uh-oh, I lost it mid reading. Oh, what spring rate do you recommend running on the SC300? SC300 also dampening. Damn, Rafa. That's for all the secrets. Nah, all good. Um, yeah, I have an SC300. And that was the gateway. That was the gateway drug to the Supra. They they share the same suspension and steering. Um, but yeah, spring rates, I would say like nine and seven. I mean, you need a stiffer spring in the front because of the heavy motor um and then the valving uh, and if you go with like a basic feel setup and i'm not even sponsored by feel um but yeah those are pretty good those are like and then valving i guess does valving mean oh dampening um, what depends on the track you're going to, right? How you would set up your your um, your shocks, like you know, yeah. some tracks are a little bit bumpier than others, and some tracks you are struggling for front traction or rear traction, or you know. So it would depend on how how stiff or how soft you run on your basic set of coilovers. I think you can only adjust your Is it your rebound or your compression? 
It's so late. <laughs> I don't I'm know like, I don't enough know. about it. I haven't gotten that far in my suspension setup stuff yet. I think it's the rebound on the basic set of coilovers that you can only adjust, but it is late, and I'm and I'm a sleepy man, so I I could be totally wrong about that. But yeah, it depends on the track you go. Some tracks you might even want to throw a, a, a bigger set of springs or a softer set of springs, like. Irwindale, we always go up in spring rates because just clearing, making that big-ass giant bank <laughs> requires, like, um, a stiff rear. Hmm. Or if you go to a really bumpy track, then you obviously you want to go with something softer. Oh, yeah, but if you're street driving, I don't know. A nine nine seven would be pretty okay. I mean, you're not gonna destroy your back, and you'll still be able to go to the track and be kind of in the medium where it would work at most places. Yeah, don't destroy your back. Yeah, don't destroy your back daily driving, please. It's not worth it. Yeah, no, it's not. All the yeah, no. You'll look cool, but you'll you'll end up going to the chiropractor. Yep. Oh, alrighty, man. I'm gonna call it there. It is eleven o'clock at night, and I am uh gotta be it's up past, early. It's past our bedtime. Yeah, it's way past my bedtime. But uh, thank you for coming on. Where can people find you, sir? Um, you can find me on Instagram, Carlos Cano Estrella, or Drift Central. Um, Drift Central underscore official is our brand, and um, yeah, anything else? I'm YouTube, we have a little channel. It's called Gasolina, like the song. <laughs> and so y'all can find us on there doing uh, doing some fun stuff at the track. And yeah, dude. Awesome. Thanks man. for having us. And uh, thank man. you for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, bro. Well, maybe I'll see you around next year. Yes, sir. All righty then, you. man. Take care. I you got have a you good with night. Corner balances, man. I'm getting better at them. Working on it. Working yeah, on man. It. All right, we'll man. do it Take on care. the CPS. All right, homie. Peace. All right.